Another day, another ring or two. Got any quests for me, Flo? Why, yes, Red. Just got this one in right now. It seems there's a weird hairless Kininu in the park harassing other people. Well, that's odd. I'll go check it out. And thus, Flo and Red make their way to the park to investigate. Oh, who's a good pupper? And oh my god, look at this doggo. Much cute, very adorbs. See what I mean, Red? It's been going around to everyone, calling them weird names and trying to touch them on the head. Man, these humans. They have no sense of personal space. Human? What is a human? Oh, thousands of years ago, they set off bombs and... Oh, never mind. Long story. Let's just take care of this one. Oh, look at you and your little robot tank. Who's a cute doggy? Who's a... Wait, why are you grabbing me? Hey, hey, put me down. Bad dog. Drop it! And we'll just take it to the edge of the city and give it a toss. Aye! And there's your human problem solved. Wow, that was easier than I thought. Eh, it's not like they're very smart. I mean, look at how they talk. Well, if that's the case, I've got another quest saying that there's more of these human things in the Filaneco district. Apparently, they keep trying to feed the residents cheeseburgers and get them to, and I quote, if they fits, they sits in cardboard boxes. Uh, Filinico people are so weird. Let's go. Maybe I can get one of them cheeseburgers. This is RBG Backtrack, RB Gamer's official retro gaming podcast covering titles from the early days of PC gaming right up through the consoles of yesteryear. Join hosts Kelly Ryan, Matt Mason, and the estimable Mike Minky as they and their guests tell you what to borrow, what to buy, and what to relegate to that big backlog in the sky. Hello and welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We are a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you such fine podcasts like RPG Cast for your news, Q&A Quest for your feedback, and we're your nostalgia. I am Kelly Ryan, and the red to my chocolate, Matt Mason. Woohoo! Chocolate! Toblerone! <laughs> Let's go tonight! <laughs> I... I was reading something about our game and find, found it, and they're the observation found it interesting that they named a dog Chocolat, which is something that could kill their entire race. <laughs> and joining me for this little Bronx Tale podcast, we've got Josh Carpenter. Hey there. And Cassandra Ramos. Hello, Ronan. Uh, I, I say little Bronx Tale. We're mostly going to be talking about Soul to Robo, but I'm sure that if anybody here has played Tale Concerto, they could probably bring it up if they wanted to. Well, that will not be me. I have not played Tale Concerto. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. I might bring up some of the side material. <laughs> yeah, I I booted it up on my Vita because I had got an e-boot and I tried to play it on my Vita and I was like, well, pre-analog controls do not age well. <laughs> and and he, that that's rough because even on the Vita you could like map it to your analog stick, but it was still just not 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 designed with that in mind. Huh? Nope. 
not designed at all so i kind of put it down i i have a physical copy i might just pop pop it in my ps3 or something but one of these days i want to play it just not apparently on the vita and And, it's an extremely obscure ps1 game yeah i was lucky enough to find it pretty much when um when it was still eb games here when they were just blowing out ps1 games for nothing and then it shot up in price pretty bad um kind of a theme with the show today because <laughs> I I know I've I love talking about accessibility but I'll put put this up front you guys aren't finding a physical copy of Soul de Robo so <laughs> do, do what googling you need to do to play this game because it is worth playing and it's one of the most beautiful DS games you'll ever play but they only sold a hundred thousand copies and had a very low print run and it was at the end of the ds's life is that quintuple whammy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and we can we can get into the controls later but yeah um controlling bad is kind of a theme for the series too <laughs> uh, and that also being said um I won't be bringing up spoilers because it's a brand new game, but don't be surprised if I bring up Fuga a lot because I think both me and Josh have played it. And there's a lot of connections. Quite. <laughs> I mean, you know, same universe. <laughs> we'll yeah. Do that. Yeah. So um, C- Cyber Connect 2, they they put out a little Bronx Tale game, what, every 10 years? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 Basically, yes. I mean, not counting, uh, apparently it's a very short-lived mobile game, and it was like, it lasted for a few months, I think, before it closed down. Oh, jeez. Called Little, Little Tale Stories, I think. Yeah, when I was doing my pre-show research, I saw some screenshots from it and saw that Red was a uh, bonus character in that. Like, not even a year, just, wow. <laughs> Poor game. That sucks, I would have loved to have tried it. That is the problem with mobile. We're we're just going to lose all those games. They're just going to be lost forever. Uh, Such a shame. My my heart still weeps for Pac-Man monsters. <laughs> regardless, um, yeah, Soul to Robo. It's a, kind of an obscure DS title, but I've been chomping at the bit to talk about it. So we will break it down after we have the short musical interlude. Welcome back to RPG Backtrack, where we are talking about Solito Robo Red the Hunter. It was released on September 27th, 2011, so nearly 10 years to the day, um, give or take a week or so. Scheduling and all that, but Cassandra um, Alfair, you were saying that this was one of the ones that Exceed localized? Yes, so uh, it was the game was first released in Europe, uh, localized by Nintendo of Europe, and then XC brought it over some months later using that translation. So it kind of fits in line along with The Last Story and Pandora's Tower as games at the end of those systems' lifetimes getting released over after being localized in Europe first. I'm pretty sure Pandora's Tower is one of those, but definitely The Last Story. That's yeah, a um, British accent in that game. 
Yeah, I know Pandora's Tower was one of the Operation Rainfall games because I played it way back in the day. And I made a point to pre-order all three of those when they were announced. But Mm -hmm. um, I guess this could be a Project Rainfall Lite. Sort of. Yeah, sort of, kind of. I mean, I'm glad it got brought over because this whole series really gets overlooked. Yeah, so it's it's a spiritual successor to uh, Tale Concerto, which did not do very well. And apparently CyberConnect had been begging... Be, be, was it Namco or Bandai? Uh, Bandai, I think. Yeah, back, okay. back then it was Bandai. Okay, they'd been begging Bandai to let them do a sequel, and they're like, why would we want to do a sequel to a game that did bad? And then they finally convinced them, but it had to take place in a, quote, completely different universe, so they just kind of... Did they expand on the story? It's so... Well, they kind of spent like the, a lot of those years building this world of Tale Concerto and made it a heck of a lot bigger than just a world of cat people and dog people. Okay. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's it, it's the same universe, just a different part of the world. Ah, gotcha. Largely unre- unrelated story, which is why the char- like I guess to spoil things, the characters from Tale Concerto make cameos in Salato Robo. Almost entirely in the side quests. Yeah, uh, apparently those side quests were DLC quests in Japan that they just stuck on the cart for the U.S. as kind of an apology for us getting the game so late. I mean, I like one of the very first quests you do is a uh, arena quest that that Waffle and the other characters show up in. So there's another there's a DLC quest that adds to it with them in it, but they're not. It's not the only one. They show Uh. up here in different quests. And yeah, we, this game came out in Japan on October 28th, 2010, so about a year, uh, t- took about a year for it to come to the U.S. And I I remember when it came, came out, I think it came out around the same time as the remake of Tactics Ogre on the PSP and one of the Dragon Quest DS games, because they all three of them came out within like a week of each other. So I was like basically having to pick and choose my pre-orders because it's like, oh my god, I want all all three of these games. I know they're going to be hard to find later. And I am really glad that I didn't drop this (laughs) pre-order. Yeah, I had this pre-ordered too. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember when I played it though at the time, but hey, I'm very glad I got it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll I'll get into that when we get into the roundtable, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, a lot of uh, Naruto games died so that this game could live, <laughs> as, as the joke goes. Um, CyberConnect did their penance with all those Naruto games, and then they get to make a, a Little Bronx Tale game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why they take like 10 years to come out. <laughs> and I, I gotta give it to the little Bronx Tale fans. They are tiny, but they are devoted. Because when I was doing my research, just the glut of stuff that they have fan translated on their own yeah. uh, just blows my mind. I mean, it's just amazing that there's a lot of stuff out there to begin with. There's, a, I think, a few massive art books that have extra world, like, you know, lore material in them that doesn't come up into games. There's various tie-in novels and manga. I think even, a, like, a few, ra- even a radio play or two. Mm-hmm. Which I, which I find interesting because they, they've uh, translate, fan-translated all the stuff, and yet I could not find a extensive plot summary for the life of me. No, I couldn't either. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, like, trying to, like, rack my memory and looking over a like a long play on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So it basically starts out with a, a mercenary, Red the Hunter, and his sister, Chocolat, um, 
going to get some some plans from a blimp. And, and right off the start, the start, like the blimp was the Hindenburg, and they set up the whole, you know, like the islands that you're flying in between are all everyone speaks French, and they're all French, you know, kind of inspired. And then the kind of the antagonists are German, which kind of plays out even in the other games in the Little Bronx series. Yeah, um, F- Fuga is pretty much th- that entire thing. Um, all the good guys are French and all the bad guys are quote-unquote <laughs> German. I mean, the I think it was just that one general. The Curvaz and mostly had, spoke French. It was just that one bulldog-looking guy in the beginning. <laughs> Which yeah, going, sorry, going back to the character designs, I was amused because um, one of the bosses in Fuga is a bulldog and kind of a I want to say like an Airedale together. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they're ants. If if I looked in the art books, if they were ancestors, I mean, probably, possibly. I mean, the the character designs take a bit of uh, how do I like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Creative interpretation with the different breeds and species. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like the like Bruno. I don't think looks much like a German Shepherd, at least to me. <laughs> or. <laughs> Or how Kalu is supposed to be an ocelot? He doesn't even have spots. <laughs> so, interesting going up, I always thought Red in my head was more German Shepherd, but now that I look at his artwork, he kind of looks more Shiba Inu. He's supposed to be a mutt, I think, in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But um, he's uh, so Red goes to get this medallion from the cargo ship and he rescues this unconscious Felid Echo. And when the fellow Echo wakes up, asks she asks, or I'm sorry, they ask about the medallion. Screwed up a story point there. Um, and the medallion grows in Red's presence, which shouldn't be possible. So you, you run around and, and do some side quests because that's kind of how you progress in this game. You have to get up to certain hunter ranks before story quests will pop. Yeah, you can't just speed run it by ignoring all the quests. You do have to do some minimum <laughs> to actually continue the story. And quests are everything from box stacking in a warehouse to um, running around a huge open field area with because um, it gives you a little robot. I guess we didn't. I guess we skipped yeah. right to the story. You you you're a dog and you pilot this uh, bipedal robot, and the robot picks things up and chucks things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that kind of becomes the whole thing for pretty much even the battle system is when enemies come you go and you pick them up and you just like bang on the a button like you have to bang on it a bunch of times and then you'll pick them up and then you just like toss them onto the ground yeah or toss or, them at each other or mm-hmm. if they like throw something at you pick that up and throw it back at them yep but there are rpg mechanics in it as well like you you gain experience and you level up and you can upgrade the there's like some tetris you can do with the upgrades on your on your little mech you can upgrade it, make it faster, stronger, that kind of thing. So it's kind of light action RPG. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it red levels up too, or the Dahak does his robot. Uh, another interesting little tidbit is um, this game takes place on floating islands, and pretty much all of the floating islands are named after dog breeds of yes. some sort. A few are named after cat breeds instead, like Mao and Ragdoll. Right, right. Um, but you, you're in a place called Airedale, and that place is attacked by shades. And the Philodeco he saved named, how do you say her name? L? L? I think it's L. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tells them that their weapons created by the titanic monster called Laeris, which is just a huge rock monster. 
with a giant horn. And um, as Red is fighting these shades, um, L asks him to make a contract to see what way the lair is, uh, which um, is what they use the medallion for. And she, or they promise a billion rings as rewards, and rings are the currency. Mm-hmm. So Red and Chocolate agree because, hey, big paying job. And that's when they have to fight off the Curvaz, which is a huge hunter guild in the Shepherd Republic. And their leader, Bruno, wants to use the, the giant rock monster to take over the world. Yeah, but he needs the medallion and a couple of other MacGuffins to do it. And after you find this out, that's when you walk into Elle in the shower and surprise, she's a girl. Yep, and Red gets a big slap as a reward. Yeah. Which, which, Very anime. Was, I mean, yeah. it, it kind of is anime. I mean, that that was a weird scene anyway, because you could kind of tell right off the bat she they they looked very feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't entirely buy. I I, I just like yeah, okay, if, if you say he looks like a boy, yeah. I think I got it spoiled anyway from like a forum from like forums the internet in general. Any it was, and and that's kind of another interesting thing about this game being DS like they that was one of those scenes that they did in like full motion video cut scene, which you like really are, you know, I did not come to expect from DS games. Like they would do these, I mean, they were not huge and gigantic and lengthy, but they would have these little cut scenes going on both screens to kind of give you a sense of everything that was going on. It was mm-hmm. like really unique and different from other DS games. Yeah. Uh, it's really neat, but kind of annoying when you're trying to watch a Let's Play and the screen doesn't line up. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, isn't Elle from a village that performs a ritual to help seal so, away? Yes, she is a paladin, along with another character you meet and have to fight at first, uh, Beluga. They're, they're paladins from like this secret village of Ragdoll. And I don't remember everything, but like their whole thing is they protect the world against Laras, which apparently uh, gets unsealed every few hundred years if they perform a certain rite to seal it back away. That's the rite of forfeit, which they need the medallion for, and they need something else. So they ultimately go and seal away Laras core and defeat it for good and the credits roll but you kind of know that kind of realize that the game isn't over because red turns into the a human in the middle of this fight and you're like what the heck yes and medallion was supposed to seemingly killed him at first but he somehow survived and apparently something being turning into a human that point has something to do with it so I, I, it honestly makes me wonder how many people never did the other half of the game because they thought that the game was done at that point. <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess because it, it cuts to the yeah, because like after you, like you you def- you defeat the final boss, you fire the core, you see the core crumbling, crumbling. The credits roll, and you see like a bunch of still images. They all look happy. Well, there are there is some text I think that's just like. Oh, but uh, it's kind of vague, but it might hint at, like, something more. Yeah, and then if I recall correctly, it, like, opens back up to the original cutscene and you go right back to Airedale. (laughs) Well, because right after the credits roll, like, two two scenes happen. One is that you see Laris's eyes glow and then its core, it puts itself back together, basically. And then there's one final scene of a mysterious human silhouette laughing evilly looking at two other human silhouettes and then i think right after that the uh actually no after that 
uh, if you boot up the game again, you get a little prologue scene that says 350 years before the present. And there are these two miners who are digging out a strange machine and they accidentally open up the strange machine and a human man pops out saying... So this is paradise. And then you get the new opening. Not the new not a brand new song, but like a new opening sequence. And you know what that reminds me of? It's like a it's an anime series that's like takes that's like twenty-four to twenty-six episodes where like the first half has one opening sequence and a song, and then this after like episode twelve or thirteen, it has a new verse of that same song and a different set of opening images, which I guess plays into the whole anime thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always find it interesting when games change their intro after a certain point. Yeah, so this is basically season two, sorry, it's part two. Of the, like, even after that, the credits say part two, chapter, whatever. It also honestly made me wonder if at some point during the de- development they wanted this to be a two-part game, and then because of the uh, Bandai kind of pushing back on them, they squeezed it all into one game. Yeah, that, I mean, the first part is pretty short as it is. <laughs> Like, looking at my time on ID, like, I played this game twice, and all together I spent about 54 hours on it. And trust me, that's short for me. <laughs> yeah, this was like a 20-ish hour game. Yes. Not, not super long. Yeah, and that's both parts, so the first yeah, part yeah. Take you, takes you roughly 10 hours. It's a short game. Uh, I, I'm just remembering my time with Evolution Worlds, which was supposed to be two Dreamcast games. And when I finished it, I was like, wait, that was supposed to be two games? <laughs> that only felt like one game. But well, yeah, it's possible. But I, I, I do think that's pretty cool. It's like a bit of a sort of psych. That was not just part one. No, that story was not that terribly cliched. <laughs> yeah. So the, the second half of the game is you pretty much ch- chasing down this human and... um finding out why you're half human and i i guess from what i was reading that red is a hybrid hybrid where he's like a quarter human or something like that yeah so let so i guess to go to a bit more detail that human man from before is named bion he is a hybrid presumably a hybrid between a human and a filaneko or kaninu the game like he, you never get to see what sort of cat or dog he turns into and I don't know if the, the game doesn't go into too much detail. I couldn't find much of anything. But for some reason, a bunch of hybrids were created and they're needed to enact this uh, cer- like this certain uh, thing that would return all the continents floating in the sky. But okay, I think I'm getting way ahead of myself. Um, mm-hmm. Oh dear, okay. So maybe we should just kind of backtrack a bit. So you're in the present and then the city of Airedale is suddenly attacked by two strange children, the one you see in that little flashback at the end of the first part. Uh, They are named Nero and Blanc and they're human looking and they're just attacking people for some reason. They don't really, they don't, they seem to see themselves as superior to the Filaneko and Kaninu because they just see them as basically animals. Mm-hmm. And Bion also shows up as well and says that he basically wants to uh, return the he wants to return the world to the way it was before, and they're not quite sure what they mean. Uh, so to learn more, because they have to return to the surface of the world, which is called Earth. Uh, they go around and collect a bunch of neat things needed in order to find a giant ship that takes them to the surface. And there they find that uh, a massive tower, the Futsu Tower. Inside the tower, they're greeted by an AI called uh, Your Lunger, and she's the interface between it and a Juno. There's a there's going to be a lot of <laughs> uh, proper nouns here. Yeah. 
And as you go through this tower, you find out that the Juno were these strange artifacts, like of completely unknown origin, that humans in the past, because there were humans on this planet, this is Earth, like thousands of years in the future, they discovered them and used them to develop incredible technology. But despite having all this knowledge of technology, they still couldn't get along and eventually started a massive war and nearly destroyed all of themselves and the planet itself. So the few some few remaining human scientists that were studying the Juno asked the Juno, like, what can you do? There's, what can we do to save the planet? And then it told them to do the reset command, which would wipe out all humanity and start everything more or less over again. Possibly implying this might have happened in the past. And that's what happened. The humans were gone and they took all the data from the living creatures and had the took all the continents from the surface and made them float up in the sky, which is what the Little Tail Bronx world is currently made out of, including the Shepherd Republic. All these continents are floating due to the power of, like, you know, magic. Is it, uh, what's that called? Is it the Clark? Uh, like, is it, Ar- is it Arthur C. Clarke that said that, you know, tech- sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic? It's that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's that principle. Uh, and they, all the, like, the life forms were, were returned there and kind of mixed and matched. So that's why you get like strange, like certain strange creatures, giant insects, uh, sheep and cow hybrids, and the Thelaneco and Caninu, which were apparently mixed with human DNA, which is why they're anthropomorphic. And then they've been living there ever since. When Bion was woken up too early, because for whatever reason, uh, the hybrids were going to be used as part of Project Coda, uh, which is the project that would return all the continents back to the surface of the world. But that wasn't going to happen yet, and I don't think they ever say if ever would happen. They might actually be kind of happy with the world as it is now. But Biom has woken up, notice that the Thelanaco and Kaninu fight like cats and dogs. <laughs> or should I say, fight a lot like humanity did, and was worried they're just going to destroy the world too. So he set out to try to return all the continents back to the surface, which would kill everything on there. <laughs> And that's what he's doing, and he needs those, and he tried to create a bunch of different hybrids, or hybrid hybrids, using his DNA and the DNA of a scientist who'd been helping you out, uh, and she's trying to make up for what she did before, Mayor Veal, the collie lady. Uh, and Red is actually one of those hybrids that created, though he was rejected because he wasn't perfect. And that's uh, when he ended up in an orphanage and uh, with his um, quote-unquote ado- adopted sister, Chocolat. Mm-hmm. And there's like there's books and such that go into that adventure. Oh, yeah. Game, but, how oh, yeah. but yeah, the game barely goes into that, just that he escaped from that lab. When she realized, oh, wait, he's going to destroy the world using these children. Yeah, I, I was um, highly interested in all of the supplemental material that the fans had translated that went into just this hybrid project alone and went into detail about each character and their design and what their purpose was in the uh in the hybrid project and it's like what wow this game (laughs) series is filled with so much lore and i feel like we as americans only get like a fraction of it oh uh, yeah for sure there's all sorts of characters that are only vaguely hinted at at in like the i think the dlc parts of the game Mm. only barely hinted but we only see red nero and blanc and i guess well Bion barely counts because he was created who knows when exactly now one of the few fuga collection 
connections that really isn't a spoiler because it, it just comes up in casual conversation is that one of the characters socks is a direct descendant of red's adopted mother that built the uh robot that he pilots yeah that, she's also partially genetically his mother because her dna was used to create him and the other hybrid children right so she's sort of his mother in that sense too yeah, my my. I mean, it shouldn't surprise me because it's all connected. But my jaw jaw hit the floor when I read that on TV tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it okay. makes, uh-huh. no, it makes sense. I mean, you know, Fuga is basically the the you know how many thousands of years in the past was it, Kelly? I uh, I want to say it's almost like three hundred. Yeah, I remember it was quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so a few hundred years, but I guess to try to wrap up the story, uh, the reason that the hybrids are needed are to bring out another Juno, because there are like, there's a ton, there's probably a lot of these Juno running around, there's a lot of extra material if you're ever curious to look it up, to start the CODA project to return to continents. They bring the, the, this Juno called the Tartaros out from another pocket dimension, and uh, so Red goes in there to stop them. And, uh, well, I guess he manages to defeat them, but he almost he kind of goes crazy for a brief moment because the order to return the continents down also makes him crazy because he's a hybrid. But he manages to snap out of it and does defeat Bion. And Bion apparently, like, goes away. He's not killed, but he, he gives up on his plan and thinks maybe Red has something because he says that, oh, we're not going to become like the humans and destroy ourselves. We're going to get along just fine. He says, well, OK. Bion says, well, OK, but I'll keep my eye on you guys. So he's still presumably out there somewhere, but for now the world is saved. Uh, I'm surprised that he didn't give the whole cats, cats and dogs living together, but not mass hysteria. <laughs> yes, yes, but but yeah. So that story kind of goes from you know relatively common to kind of crazy, and I've heard it likened to Gurren Lagan with furries. Oh, that that is a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. that, that kind of tracks. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which it's funny you mentioned that because I think Fred's Japanese voice actor is C- either Simone or Kamina I from the Japanese version. Yeah, I, I believe, I'm pretty sure it's Simone. And uh, coincidence, I mean, probably po- probably a few coincidences, but Bion bear uh, sort of coincidence because Bion bears a striking resemblance to another re- sort of related project. He looks like. Um, why is his name escaping me from Evangelion? Oh, Gendo? Yes, Gendo. He bears more than a striking resemblance to him, and of course being the whole aloof father, like evil father figure that's trying to end the world. Hey, you can't have an anime without one of those. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I love this game, and I remember at the time loving this story, but I think because I just just got obsessed with trying to do all the side quests the story just never stuck with me i remember all the i remember like the basic plot beats there's a lot of little extra detail and a barely sur- scratch the surface on like the major characters because there's quite a few of them like even some even a bunch of the npcs get have unique portraits there's very few uh like you know state like uh standard character designs mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, we were kind of talking about that kelly before and i'm like I, i'm like you i was you know, I played this game probably 10 years ago or, or pretty close to it. 
And like I have vivid memories of the game, but it's not of the plot or, you know, like it's of that world. It's of the way that mm-hmm. game looked and the way it played and the atmosphere that the game created was just fantastic. It's stuck with me all these years. But yeah, yeah the plot is kind of like slowly escaped from my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. And And one thing that I appreciated about the gameplay is that you know, I felt like as RPG budgets have bloated that they really haven't given you any reason to explore around the world. And this game, like every single screen has something that you can find that is useful, whether it's a jukebox that adds tracks to the uh, ship. To, to your ship's um, jukebox or uh, boxes that you can lift that have kids that have stolen pieces of photos that you have to assemble. Um, little hidden spots that give you more points so that you can upgrade your little Tetris grid to upgrade your robot. And that's part of why I can't remember the story because I was obsessed with finding all of that stuff. And boot- booting up my game t- 10 years later... I, I was just kind of running around it, and it's like there's still stuff, uh, parts of photos that I haven't even found in this. Yeah, that's uh, that, yeah, that's pretty. That is, that is pretty neat. That I do like. Kind of, I mean, it's a, it can be a bit annoying because to find those things, you have to get off the dahawk, and otherwise, Red mm-hmm. is constantly on that thing. But it is pretty neat to go to a screen, you see a sparkling spot, you get off, you pick it up, and it's like, oh, yes, a little extra money or these pea crystals, which you need to up to upgrade your the dahawk. Appreciated. And, and many of the puzzles and the dungeons involve getting red off the dahawk so that you can go figure out how to like let down a bridge or let some water out of something so that you can pass with the dahawk mm-hmm. with um, combat littered and in between. It, it was not a difficult game, if memory serves. Like, oh, there, no. there was very easy, if I recall. Um, I put most of my uh, part points into hydraulics so that I didn't have to mash the A button as hard to lift stuff up. And pretty much once you do that, you're set for the rest of the game. <laughs> Got to save your thumb so it's not getting yeah. bashed on the uh, the, the DS uh, button. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, the DS button is not a very ergonomic, or the DS itself is not a very ergonomic system. All iterations of it. And I, I played this back on a DSi way back when, so I imagine that my hands were pretty cramped because it's it's a 3D world and you're controlling it with a D-pad. It, it is pretty impressive what they managed to pull off making an actual 3D world work on the DS. Um, you know, there are a few times where the the sprites, where, where they're kind of like mixing the 2D with 3D and the sprites look a little muddled, but... For the, the you know the look of the game is just fantastic. It's so yeah. vibrant, colorful, and very detailed. Again, mm-hmm. like you see, you you already see like a lot of NPCs. You see their portraits, but even just like the background NPCs are pretty detailed. Like you can tell, uh, like it's the only way you're ever going to see like foxes in this game because a, a lot of the, them appear to be some form of fox or another, which is kind of weird because it seems like at least in Salat Torobo there are very few wild like next to no wild dog species I could think of. Plenty of wild cat species. Yeah, one of the supplemental materials that I was reading had like a chart for um, various species where like some some of them are more magic oriented and they're intelligent, but they're not very strong. And it, it does it had a chart for both the cats and the yeah. dogs, yeah, which I thought was kind of a kind of a neat read. Yeah, but that's just a funny observation. Like, but hey, there are foxes. You just can't get you did never get to talk to one. Really, <laughs> at least you can talk to one, but you never see its portrait. 
But yeah, I I cannot get over just how striking and colorful all of the environments were. Like get, getting off of the plane and some of the towns, and you see kind of a vista of the town before you even get into it, and it's just so detailed. Mm-hmm. The the graphics almost kind of look like a, a very late era PS one game where they like Final Fantasy nine where they had figured out how to do the textures in the backgrounds just perfectly. Um, unfortunately, if you're playing on an emulator or probably a, a DSi XL like I am, you'll you'll see a little bit of the seams in between because boy, poor Red is very low poly when he gets up close, but. <laughs> Um, that's still a pretty pretty neat looking game for being a DS DS game. Oh, for sure. The DS wasn't very well known for its uh, 3D. Oh no! Like I said, that that's one of the things. One of the, I think one of the reasons this stuck with me all these years is just like it sticks in my mind. Is probably one of the best looking DS games that was released, and you don't really expect that from like a small company like CyberConnect. But mm-hmm. you know, like like that's something on a on a mobile system, uh, a smaller dev can kind of pull off. And and you could tell that they had a lot of, a lot of ambition because between that one huge open area where you're flying in between islands in the dock. Uh, which, while visually impressive, is was kind of hard to control. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I don't know if there was a mini map. No, there, there was the mini map, but the islands were so spread out that it was very hard to kind of remember where you were going. And and that so I, I got lost in that area many a times. And then they also had one of the mini games that they had actually touted the multiplayer, and that was a uh, 3D racing game. In planes, a la um, Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah, I played that as little as possible because I can't. I'm not good at racers at the best at times, and this was even. Uh, this was just like, yeah, let me just get the minimum amount possible to pass this, and that's it. I'm never doing this. Oh God, I, I booted up booted that up earlier today just because I was curious, and I had to put it down because I nearly broke my hands trying to get through it. Ooh, it's <laughs> like this cries for an analog stick. Yeah. But if, if if the game was on a better system, it looked like it was fun. <laughs> it needed a 3DS port. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I honestly wonder how the game itself controls if you're playing on a 3DS using mm. the analog slider. But the, then you got to deal with the 3DS uh, not having um, DS games be very visually vibrant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Um, there's also, I also didn't forgot that there was a fishing mini game yeah i had totally forgotten about the fishing mini game <laughs> yeah hermit crabs wearing aircraft carriers as shells you know as you do <laughs> oh yeah i mean <laughs> what else are we gonna use but but i i love that because um that's how you got a lot of scrap to get some of the better parts for your robot and C- cyber connect seems to love their fishing because they brought it they brought the fishing back in fuga it's a jrpg there has to be fishing kelly that's a rule <laughs> Not a JRPG if there's not a fishing mini game. That's true. I forgot that fun- basic fundamental rule. <laughs> so yeah, and we were talking about the soundtrack a little bit. It's it's encompasses the perfect background music, and that it's it's fun and it's I don't want to say catchy, but it makes it the kind of perfect environmental music. But it's not going to stick out except for the opening song. It, it, yes. It's one of those. It's it's almost like a, a good movie soundtrack. It complements what's going on, but it's not something like you'll be remembering 
or you know like the 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 tunes aren't catchy and you won't be humming them days later but Mm -hmm. like while you're playing the game they perfectly complement the setting and the story yes although and then dakota the opening song is absolutely gorgeous oh man that that, thing sticks out yeah oh yeah and that's it stuck with me all these years i go back to it every so often and it just it really fits the game perfectly it's like it's beautiful it's uh you know it sounds it's calming and it's got this mystic air to it which kind of fits along with like the mystique of this fantastical world that has a very fantastical origin and CyberConnect must have been very proud of that soundtrack because they included it with copies of uh, First Run. Well, I say First Run. Princess didn't have a reprint. But <laughs> when he bought this game brand new, it came with the soundtrack. And it wasn't like a little cardboard sleeve soundtrack either. It was a full jewel case. Mm-hmm. And what when I was trying to find that on YouTube to give it a re-listen, I happened, happened upon it on Amazon. And that, that soundtrack alone goes for like a hundred bucks now. Jesus, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, the elephant in the room of this game is that because it was such a low print run and so very obscure that it is it is so expensive now. Um, a, lo- a lot of those Exceed games of that era are now. <laughs> yeah, the, the cart alone goes for $200. Um, I think I think Anna, they had their uh, cart stolen when they uh, when their house got broken into several years ago, and they ended up selling the box. And they, I think they made like a hundred bucks just on the box. Just on the box. Well, I mean, it certainly and, sounds tempting, but I'm I'm planning on keeping my copy. Thank you very much. Oh, I. Oh, my copy's going in my vault along with my Soikoden 2 and my Shining Force 3 and is never coming out. Because, <laughs> I mean, not just because it's a it's a game that's worth money, it's a game that I would want to revisit again at some point. And I, I don't want to lose it because it's such an awesome game. It's so different and unique. <laughs> yep, and, and it's a lot of fun to pick things up and throw things. Like, it sounds like a simple mechanic, but the game finds a lot of ways to like use it to solve puzzles or to defeat enemies and such. Yeah, but my one complaint about the combat is that I kind of wish that there would have been just a little bit more than just picking up and throwing. Like, I wish you could have punched stuff or... In in the cutscenes, they show Red with a sword, but I don't think he ever. Yeah, it's it's technically it's a stun gun with a really big bayonet. Is what okay. that thing apparently is. That's why, like, he can. One other thing he can do is he can get off the dahawk and use the stun gun on enemies. Or there are certain obstacles that he has to use the stun gun on to get past them instead of just the right. dahawk. So, right. but yeah, why couldn't he just use that like a sword instead? Because it's got a yeah. giant blade on it. Uh, I mean, they, they probably had to cut that for budget concerns or whatever. But Possibly, I yeah. wish that. I wish the combat would have had a little bit more to it. Though it's nice that in the second half of the game, you get to go into trance mode when the meter fills up so that you can turn human. And I think you lift things easier and do more damage when you chuck things yes. in that mode. Um, and and yeah, I mean, just a beautiful little game. Um, and I, I was reading conflicting reports because one thing was saying, or one interview was saying that they might consider remaking it if Fuga does well. Another thing that I was reading was saying that Bandai Namco finds it such an embarrassment that it's pretty much their earthbound and they've got the rights and they'll never relinquish it. Mm. I mean, it's I, I, I certainly can't say. And <laughs> yeah, I've read that too, that uh, Namco Bandai doesn't want these 
The games didn't do well, and because they still have the rights to publishing Tale Concerto and Sola Toropo, they may never see the light of day again. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I would certainly uh, like those games to be re-released and, you know, with remasters, even remakes. Well, I mean, it's it, at the very at the bare minimum, CyberConnect 2 is still around and still doing reasonably well. And they have a good relationship with Namco. So, you know, it's it's not like one of those things where the original dev is long since defunct and, you know, no one at Namco is there basically to, you know, champion the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly I mean, and not, if, sorry, it, certainly not an image pox situation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, th- those are the ones where it's truly terrible, where the you know the company goes bankrupt and who the heck even owns the rights to any of these things anymore? Yeah, yeah and at least Fuga was a not was you know published independently by uh, CyberConnect Two as well, I believe. So mm-hmm. you know, you could probably see more, maybe we could see more uh, Little Tail Bronx games come out more right more than every t- like a little less than every ten years. I mean, I gotta be honest with you, I would e- I've I don't back stuff on Kickstarter because I saw the shit show with mighty number no. nine but if if they did a, a kickstarter for another little box tail game i would probably at least back it for 10 or 20 bucks and i know people like decry digital deliver you know you know where games are just released digitally but what that allows is for a small developer like uh cyber connect to just do you know cut out the publisher do it themselves and also keep all the money so that this smaller project that they're doing you know they like they're not giving away 40 percent of it to a publisher and they can maybe afford to make you know this sort of a game that you know maybe they sell a hundred thousand copies of but hey maybe they can turn a profit on that when they're actually getting to keep all the revenue mm-hmm. i mean do you think if they would have waited like three years to put it out on the 3ds just as a digital only game do you think it would have done better maybe would be, it would have been easier to obtain yeah, yeah that's no for kidding. sure um, I, I mean, I, I'm a physical forever kind of person, but I, I'm more than happy to support a little game digital if it means that I'm playing a good game. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, I, I certainly did that with Fuga. I, I bought that full price day one, and I usually wait for sales on games like that. But um, uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, I need to put my money where my, my mouth is and just buy a Naruto game. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a that's an extra thank you to CyberConnect. Like here, I'll even buy your other stuff. <laughs> I, I I think their most recent game they're putting out is a Demon Slayer one for that anime. So maybe I can, you know, upgrade and get something. I mean, no, no shade to Naruto. It's it's fine, but I'm not a fit. I don't think I can get gain much entertainment from those fighting games. But if the Demon Slayer game is good, that I might be able to play that. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm talking Naruto games. I, I think that we ought to take a quick break and then get into our roundtable where we can try to get into more of our memories, our favorite things about the game, and p- put a lid on this kind of teeny show. So stick around.
welcome back to RPG Backtrack, where we are getting into our Soul to Robo Roundtable. This is where we kind of add our personal touch to the game discussion, talking about our favorite things from the game and our memories surrounding the game. So, uh, what was your favorite moment? Uh, okay, I guess I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I should have called on a name there, my yeah. bad. <laughs> Okay, I guess, I guess I'll go first. So yeah, my favorite, like, the, my favorite, is certainly the, the definitely the funniest moment for me. So this happens during part two, and they're trying to find like the parts of a flute I think needed to get to the Earth's surface. Uh, Red and L go to Mao, which is this uh, island almost entirely inhabited by or mostly by uh, Phil and Aiko, and they it, it's uh, they're I think it's like monk training for whatever religion they have for whatever religion that's uh, that they practice. And girls aren't allowed on the training grounds, although they'll they'll let uh, Kaninu there just fine, I guess, as long as they aren't girls. And a monk stops L and Red because he thinks L is a girl. And then Red says, oh, no, not a girl, not a girl at all. And then the monk looks at her and says, oh, yeah, she couldn't he couldn't possibly be a girl. And L has this hilarious, mortified look on her face. But then she goes along with it and even adds like a very nervous dude at the end of her sentence. And I think she might say something like, I'm definitely going to you know, have some words with you later, Red. <laughs> hey, no, nothing wrong with going non-binary. It opens doors. <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't want to be called a boy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I know, I totally get it. It's just <laughs> that that's kind of funny. Uh, Josh, did you have one? Oh, geez. Like, the the once again, like I was saying, like, my memories of this game are faded over the years. Like, the I have those vivid memories of the way the game looked and the the cutscenes of flying into the islands, but I, like in terms of like actual like plot points, I, I I still remember the you know the first half fake out where you get to the you know you go you beat the boss the roll the credits and then like oh hey the game isn't actually over, like you got a whole another extra half of the game to go. That was I still remember that after all those years, it was great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that that always messes me up when a game fakes you out like that, especially going as far as rolling the credits. Yeah, and again, serious points for like having this, you know, pretty sim relatively simple storyline the first, and then you get the very dramatic cutscenes for uh, like the animated sequence in the second part, and of course, it goes into the more serious storyline too. Yeah, then you actually get into the the whole story behind the world and what's going on, mm -hmm. and like why are they can dog people on flying islands? <laughs> you know, I kind of appreciate that they they took the time to get, to introduce you to the world and get you used to the characters kind of before they broke you with the more serious story. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, uh, I wish more games would do that. I think that's still what sticks with me with this game is just like the world building in it. There's so much love and care that was put into it. So much detail in it. Yeah. It comes through really. Yeah. yeah. We barely touched on it, but there is this uh, library that gets unlocked slowly through the game as you do different things, talk to different characters and find different items. And it goes into a little more like flavor text on the world itself, a bit onto the history of the Shepherd Republic, about the two major races, even about things like entertainment. Like it, it shows that like there's a line about how they have television, and while it's still very expensive, more people are like getting into it, and a bit about there being a popular animated series that basically has feel Astro Boy as a feel and <laughs> Okay, that that is awesome. Yes. 
I, I completely forgot about that library bit. Yeah, it's fun to read through that again. And even like a hint as to how like the scientists think that there is a special order that keeps the islands floating. And people say, oh, it's got to be some kind of divine intervention. And well, again, it's uh, technology indistinguishable from magic, actually. Right. Right. So my, my favorite moment, um, I had I had the two. Um Obviously, it was the scene where Red bumped into Elle in the shower and made made her scream. That was just so funny. Um, kind of, it was one of those things that kind of caught me off guard. But at the same time, the second I heard the shower going, I knew what was going to happen before it happened. Uh, so that, that that's always good for a laugh. But then the other thing that completely threw me for a loop was. Uh, Red turning into a human during that boss fight before the, at the end of the first act. That was that just like compl- like oh my god, he's really a human. What is going on? And that that's certainly why I continued after the credits were, it ended and it took me back to the title screen. Yep, especially like especially since like L has no idea what he's just turned into. <laughs> like okay, and I was just thinking he's like a, he's basically a reverse wear dog. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what is the shaved dog doing in the middle of the house or in the middle of this arena? And thank God they put pants on him. Yeah, Yeah, fun little extra like tidbit in the the material. Apparently his clothes stay on using nanotech. Like it's nanotechnology is how that apparently explains that. (laughs) Of course. Nanotech pants. Yes, nanotech pants. (laughs) So did either of you guys have a favorite character? Yes. Uh, Go ahead. uh, So mine is Merville. I like a lot of the characters. Merville is the uh, scientist lady. She's at first Bruno's secretary, but you find out that she's been working behind the scenes to try to stop Laris. And again, I, I really like her. She's got a complex personality and backstory. She's kind of cold and aloof, especially in the beginning. And while she never becomes a very warm or expressive person she's very she, she still gets a lot kinder she care, comes to care for the others uh, generally cares for red that he consider and he considers her like her mother and all this because she's trying to make up for the fact that she created him and the other hybrids so long ago not, not long ago but like several years ago and she wants to make up for the fact that because of her the world could be destroyed and of course these poor kids are being tormented so yeah i really like her a lot Ooh, i think my favorite was uh chocolate <laughs> which usually that that character that is kind of like the one there to rein in the 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 roguish main character can kind of be a drag but i always really liked her she was like she was really fun and likable yeah I, I was amused to read that for the longest time she was originally meant to be a felon echo and then at the last minute they made her a, a dog and so they made her into a pomeranian but i still do a double take every time i see her portrait Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's still, yeah she's got a very short snout and tiny triangular ears, so it's kind of hard. It's easy to mistake her for a cat. Yeah, yeah. the the only thing that really makes her look dog like is the kind of curly tail. Yeah, but I, I I understand that though. She's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, mine. Of course, I've got to pick the cat. One of the cat characters. I like Kalua. I, I think I'm saying his name right. The the one of the trio. That's kind of kind of the adorable dits of the trio. Yeah, he's everybody a, dude. And, yeah, an ocelot apparently. Yeah, I just, I love his design, and I love his just kind of like, well, I'm a bad guy, but just because these guys are paying me more, like <laughs> I could just see him and Red being best friends. Yeah, and he does become an ally in the second part of the game after the Curvas kind of have to you know regroup after Bruno is killed. 
and you know and, it was actually evil and i i do also have a bit of a soft spot for red just because i i like his snark and when he makes that face on his portrait where he's just very clearly annoyed with someone <laughs> yeah it, so that's always good for a laugh yeah especially like that when like during the side quest and one of the npcs is just getting on his nerves and he gives that expression my real question is, is the bone just a bone or does he use it like a cigar or is it just a oral fixation? It's apparently popular for Kaninu to chew on bones, is what I understand. <laughs> and not just any bone, the cartoon dog bone. Uh-huh. So, moving on, we, we had kind of touched on the music a little bit. I, I mean, this is just kind of the question I ask every single backtrack because you always tend to have a favorite song. But then... I, I saw before the show that we all put and then Dakota because it was the only <laughs> song that stood out. Yeah. Well, well, I'll say I was kind of cheating because Cassandra filled out the form first and I saw that and I'm like, OK, I got to go and pick out something else. And I'm going and listening to the soundtrack on YouTube and I'm like, nah, nah, this is <laughs> this no, is this, it. this, it's a fantastic song yeah. <laughs> and every anything else, you know, it's good. It just pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. Even the ending theme is, you know, kind of it's good. It's just, but eh. isn't it? Is it a remix or is it a slower version? I forget. Uh, I think it's just a different song. Okay. It, it has a similar name, and then there's like another vocal theme by like a, a like an idol character whose name I can't really remember. Ah, okay. but that one also, I don't know, eh, doesn't stick with me. Um, the also interesting thing that I was reading is that apparently the song is so popular that it showed up in Fuga Fuga as a boss battle theme, and then Dakota. Huh. Yeah. And, and of course, I had to YouTube it to look it up and all to to confirm this. And I'm like, yep, there it is. It, they reused it. Or I think it ties in thematically, but I can't remember to what. Mm, um, interesting. Um, what I mean, not, I I don't think this will spoil Fuga, but let's just say when I finished up Fuga, I was like hitting Wikipedia for Solo to Robo faster than <laughs> you could hit say anything because I was just like, oh my god. I can't believe it did that, and yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to talk about two years from now when we can talk about Fuga. Mm-hmm. We'll have to yeah. play it in that interim for sure. I I hope you get to play it in that time. I I need more people to talk about it. But yes, yes. <laughs> well, Kelly, you played every little bit of Fuga. Oh God, so. <laughs> and I still didn't unlock that one thing. <laughs> oh. Huh. I, I was trying to unlock the entire library because it hinted that you might get a different ending. And there was one section of the library that I couldn't figure out, figure out. And it wasn't until I read the TV trips that it's a random event. <laughs> nice. So I re- I rebooted the game trying to like save scum to get the random event to pop. And the sad thing is that I know I saw it pop. And I just didn't realize that that's what it was. So at, at some point... It, if I replay it, I'm, I won't be able to get it. But yeah, I I put a lot of hours into Fuga, probably more than I should have. <laughs> well, well, your work made it. E- you you gave me all the hints, so it made it easier for me to do my one playthrough and see oh. most everything. Oh yeah, as, as soon as I figured out a good strategy, it's like, hey, make make friends with this one person and mm-hmm. shoot the other tank. <laughs> <laughs> And don't sacrifice the kids. Yeah, well, that's a given. <laughs> oh, and but then, b- back to other Little Bronx Tale game. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want you guys said that you remember what you was doing when you was playing this game way back in the day. I'm I'm curious about 
your thoughts. Oh, man. So I I was never a huge DS fan, and I think part of that may have just been... I may have been skewed, because I got a DS right when it came out. So I got the original ugly, chunky, chiseled gray block <laughs> that had the, the, the terrible dark screen and had the terrible, uncomfortable buttons. And I think that probably always skewed me slightly against the DS. So I was never a real big fan of it. But like, just I remember reading a bunch of positive reviews, both on RP Gamer and all over the web for this game. Like it, it this game actually did review really well. And, uh, you know, like I was already kind of a fan of Xseed at that point. So I just like had to snap it up. And I was just so happy with it. It was such a fantastic game. You know, had me actually pulling out this old, terrible, chiseled DS and getting it out of the closet, charging it up, finding, you know, finding that terrible charger that the DS had, that awful proprietary thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It used the same end as the GBA, but didn't work with the GBA, I think. But because of course not. That that was in that era. Yeah. Of, like, of course we can't. Of course every single thing has to have a different charger. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. What about you? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, in my case, I, I honestly don't remember exactly when I played it. I'm pretty sure it wasn't right away. I, I know I pre-ordered it and bought it day one because I knew this game would have a low print run and it was an unpopular series. And I, I just like the. The, you know, the thought of, you know, world of, uh, in the sky with, you know, cat people and dog people. That sounds cool. I, I beat it at some point. It was probably 2012, though, again, I really can't remember. Uh, I was looking back on the forums because those kind of still exist, uh, although they were officially taken down. And there was in 2014, we used to do every for a couple of years, this uh, year of a game either a series or following some theme. And 2014 was the year of one hit wonders. And Salato Robo technically counts because it's not a direct sequel to Tail Concerto, you know. And uh, it was just kind of fun to look at that. I remember I remind myself like what I was, you know, what I was discussing with other people, remind myself what went through the game. So, you know, that was kind of interesting. Like, I, so yeah, I, I enjoyed the game, but I really can't remember what happened when or even when, exactly when I beat it. Well, that, that's fair. Um, w- when I play games that are kind of out of that release date games like that, I kind of tend to do the same thing. But so the, the, that uh, one hit wonder thing would be kind of interesting to do, given how many ga- weird games have gotten sequels over the years. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I don't even sh- know if this would, I don't yeah, even I know think- if this one still count. Yeah, I mean, maybe not anymore since Fuga is, so, is RPG-ish. At least Tail Concerto could get away with being an action platformer. Yeah. And I think The World Ends With You was on there, so that's no longer one hit wonder material. Nope. For better and for worse. Yep. I'm not implying that I didn't like Neo in World Ends With You, by the way, because I love that game. But um, So I have a very distinct memory when I bought this game because the, the, the day that I bought it, I was having really bad asthma problems and ended up having to go to the minor emergency center. Not like the, the major emergency room, but like the kind of doctor's office that's open after hours that you go to when you can't, when it's not severe enough for the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we, we got all that done and I like got an emergency inhaler and did a breathing treatment and had to go to, um, Walgreens to get some steroids to help up open my lungs for my asthma. And of course it's it's like seven o'clock at night, so there's a line at the Walgreens 
for prescriptions because everybody's getting home from work trying to get their prescription. So I sit, I go to sit down and I break, break out my game because I'd put it in my DS earlier and I put up the safe or the, the opening save screen and it's like, Hey, I can tell that you have a DSI. Why don't you take a picture of yourself in your surrounding area? And I'm like, Son of a bitch, I don't want to take a picture of the freaking Walgreens right now game. Why are you doing this to me? Hey, at least it wasn't the microphone thing and you had to talk <laughs> yeah. into it. In oh, the middle God. Of that would have been worse. <laughs> I've, I've heard so many horror stories of people bringing their DS on the plane back in the day with, with stuff that had sound mechanics. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they did. This, it does the same thing, not surprisingly, on the 3DS. And I opened up my save file, and I guess I was feeling weird. I was feeling weird that day about it taking a picture of my face because I made it take a picture of a plush of the Pokemon Zorua instead. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I booted up the game again because I was curious. Did I take a picture of the Walgreens? And no, luckily it lets you retake any picture. So I think I like took a picture of my husband from my area, <laughs> and he was um, in his recliner chilling with one of the cats on him and it showed our old apartment which boy that dredged up some memories because we've lived in this house for seven years now and the apartment just seems like a far-off memory but yeah that that's my memory of the game was already being pissed off because you know having to go to the minor, minor emergency center and then being in the walgreens and it's wanting me to take photos <laughs> so yeah interesting times also, talk, talking about asthma attack in the DS, I'll never forget, um, I think it was a puzzle game or something that made you had to blow on the microphone to remove clouds. And I'm sitting there blowing on the microphone like an idiot, and my parents are like, why are you, do you keep doing that? Like, it's the game! There's clouds, I have to, I have to blow the clouds off the playing field, and... After about five minutes of that, when I'm giving myself an asthma attack again, it's like, okay, I'm putting this game away and playing something else. I cannot deal with this right now. So I'm glad games don't do that anymore. Yeah, we thankfully finally gotten past the gimmicky, uh, oh, we've got to use all the different features of the system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's our show, unless you guys had anything else to add. Uh-uh. Uh, can't say that I do, no. Uh, I, I, I would be more effusive about people going and getting it, but I know how hard it is to get. Yeah. But... I mean, play it any way you can, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah like you're, for anything, you're... you know. And if it ever comes out officially re-released, you know, get that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't mind doing emulation on stuff that is very hard to find, but if they re-release it, you bet your ass I'm there day one to oh, pay the piper. Oh, for sure. I will be. I will for sure as well. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's a robo. Excellent game. W- wish it had more copies. Um, if you have your copy, uh, you could probably pay for your retirement right now. Actually, I have one question. Why is it called Little Tail Bronx? Like, why? what's Bronx about it? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I know that's what the universe is called. <laughs> That what, was what a the fan one, I am. <laughs> that that was the one thing in the supplemental material that I just could not find. Yep, I, I, I yeah, can't find it anywhere. I assume it's just a mystery for the ages at this point. Oh well, it's still a cute little series. I hope that they bring more games into it. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so support digital games, guys. 
and if that's what it takes, I will support a digital game. Yep. Uh, poor, poor Matt didn't have much to say this show. I'm sorry you had to be here. That's okay. That's okay. You want to tell everybody what we're going to cover next time? Um. Well, I, I've been in vacation mode because I planned my vacation in between backtracks. You know. Uh, Good job, so partner, because... I'm I'm hopping on vacation mode next week too. We have a nice little fall break and oh, oh, I, amazing. I know I, I know what the next game is. We're hopping on a train, aren't we? Oh we are. yeah, we're we're going back to school. Uh oh. <laughs> we're going back to beloved series that a lot of people on staff really like, and it's a series that is is an investment. But hey, the fans, unlike. The Little Bronx Tale fans, they document everything in this series. Wait, 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 wait. Pascal's going to be on next time? Yes. Are we sure that this is going to be all effusive praise? <laughs> you know, I don't know. With Pascal, it can be very hit or miss. Yeah. But, um, sh- should I say it or do we want to leave it a surprise? Yeah, either way. It'll be entertaining. I'll, I'll, I'll say either it. Um, Trails of Cold Steel, the first game. Mm-hmm. Yes, just the first game, not yeah, not the yes. whole series. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Anna made me promise to keep shows short from now on, and I'm sticking <laughs> to that promise. And I, I've got to figure out, like, do my research and write a skit, and I'm only going to have a couple of days to do it next week because I'm, I'm going to Colorado on Sunday, and we'll be back until Thursday. <laughs> Nice but little trip. Yeah, it'll be a fun time going up, going up to Pike's Peak and getting some donuts and hot chocolate. Cool. Nice. So, what were you Amazing going, Matt? They put on, I'm going up to North Carolina again, and then kind of out of the blue, um, maybe we said some things to one of our friends when we had a couple too many beers on Saturday. Um, but we're bringing one of our friends with us. <laughs> she was complaining that she's got all this time off, and her husband just started a new job and doesn't have time off. So we were like, nah. We, we dragged my mom up to the mountains last year. We got a minivan. You could come with us. And then today was like, hey, I got those days off. You guys were serious about that, right? We're like, oh, like, oh guess so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it'll be fun. Um, my parents have a place in North Carolina. So I, I called them real quick today. I was like, hey, don't mind if we're bringing a tag along. They're like, we got four bedrooms. Bring whoever. So we're going to go see the uh, show the kids what fall is. Because oh. in, Florida, in Florida, we rake the leaves in like late February, early March, but you never really see them change. They just somehow drop at some point. So we're actually going to go see leaves of different colors. Oh, that'll be neat for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I actually get to go to a place that has elevation. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I live in Kansas, so I don't know what a hill looks like. Well, you know, ditto here in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Although somehow I do live in a valley. Oh, you get you get other fun stuff like gators and hurricanes. Oh, oh yeah, death heads. <laughs> my wife texts me like almost every day because she usually walks over to the lunchroom at our school and like she's like, "Oh, they got this or this or this today." And my picture this today was a picture of the gator in our the lake in the middle of our school property, just chilling out on the uh, water fountain thing in the middle of the pond. And I was like, "Oh." Interesting. That's what happens in Florida. You just have a gator sitting in the middle of your school property. Uh, with with me, it's either a skunk or a possum in my backyard. <laughs> Sometimes a rabbit if I'm lucky and the dog gets to chase it. Oh, our cat brought us a flying squirrel. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, it, I, the only reason I knew flying squirrels were in Florida because it's the second one she's killed in four years. Like when we first took her in, she killed one and we're like, what is this? Like, I, I did, this isn't. What is this animal? We looked it up, and sure enough, didn't even know there were flying squirrels in Florida. 
have never seen one in my life, but in four years now, my cat has somehow managed to kill two of them. Oh, my my stupid cats don't even know what to do with spiders when they see them. <laughs> they're they're cute. cute, but bless their heart, my cats have no killer instinct. No, we, we, we kind of half punish the cat by not letting her go outside for a couple days if she makes a kill. We're like, no, one of the major reasons we brought you inside was to stop killing local wildlife. <laughs> We feed you, and you still want more. Yeah, my my, we had an outdoor cat at my parents' house for a while, and my dad didn't appreciate that he brought in his kills in the garage right next to his Corvette. Oh. <laughs> and we, we had a lot of very stupid rabbits in our neighborhood because that cat had about six bells on his collar, and he still managed to catch <laughs> stuff. Uh, I think the, the last straw for me after my wife was feeding this outdoor cat was um it was right before summer when we decided to just bring her in and keep her inside 95% of the time she put a full like 10 pound rabbit the size of her on our porch oh, I was like man. no 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 more of this you know it's it's sad when you get the baby squirrel once you know every 3 or 4 months but we're not doing full size rabbits that's <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit much I can't just, like, put it on a shovel, chuck it over into the neighbor's yard and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, I've, I've seen Watership down. That must have, Rabbit must have put up a fight. Oh, man. that I mean, It was huge. It was bigger than the cat. It was bigger than the cat. <laughs> Your buddy got herself a trophy. Yeah. I think we're just better off leaving cats and dogs uh, with, with tanks for now. Yeah, see, we stayed a little on topic there. I got yeah. no tanks to talk about, though, so I only um, got the material I've been given. Are you going to bring it home for us, Matt? Well, so I hear that this, this was a very, very, very post-apocalyptic kind of world here. The world yeah. Of Russia, yeah. From, from listening to all you said. So I, I guess the only thing I took away from this is don't big build big machines because, well, cats and dogs are pretty good. That's not the intelligent life I want running around in the future. You know, kind of like humans. But all right, everyone, be careful with what you build out there. You might destroy the world. Wear a mask. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Night, night. Oh